so you had mentioned the blue wave versus red wave. What are the industries that that you know if if Biden wins, then those are the policies that he supports, or if Trump wins, the policies that he supports, so on and so forth. Where where are these areas? Like you know, when you're creating your analysis, how are you separating each camp from each from each other? Well, the first thing I'm doing is I'm looking at what these candidates have said and what I think the main issues um, that they're trying to address are. So, for example, we'll start with with Trump. Okay, so on his side, uh, one of the big things that he's about is about deregulation. He's all he ta- always talking about the idea of relaxing regulations in the banking sector. For example, companies like regional banks, for example. Okay, so regional banks, mid-sized companies, it would be easier for them to grow, do business when there's less regulation. So companies, even some of the larger banks could actually uh, do well. So, for example, like a Bank of America. Like that, that could be, you know, that would be one area that people would be looking at if they were going to be uh, voting for uh, for Trump. Um, even though Bank of America is not a smaller bank or a regional bank that, you know, uh, people would actually, you know, that would benefit the most. Uh, there are reasons why a Bank of America could do quite well in that backdrop. Maybe not on the first day, but relatively well relative to other banks in that area. Number one, it's been consolidating for a long time near a base. But from a fundamental uh, point of view, the corporate tax rates and, and controls over institutions would lend itself to bigger banks. They, they, they would have ways to deal, to actually make more money in a lower tax rate environment. So that would definitely benefit the banks. Another area that would do well, and actually this kind of goes back to a question you asked me in the last episode, where you asked me a question about what would do well regardless of who wins. And I do believe, especially as we move into next year, because commodities have been extremely depressed for a very extended period, um, and, fi- and especially with COVID shutting down a lot of the supply chain, it's putting tremendous pressure on commodity prices. And the tail risk is to the upside. And for those uh, viewers or listeners that are not familiar with tail risk, tail risk is basically a trader term that we use to describe outlier events, either to the upside or the downside. And in this case, given that we're at the bottom of a cycle moving up in commodities, and especially agricultural commodities that are in tremendous demand right now for, for a number of reasons. Supply chain bottlenecks and the, fa- and the fact that the world, the middle class in a lot of the uh, emerging nations, has been rising. And there, is, there are more people in the middle, uh, you know, rising to the middle class and uh, maybe not in, in all countries, but in a number of countries and the population growth. So all these things working together uh, are going to put a tremendous pressure to the upside in agricultural commodities. So in that sense, uh, Trump is big because a lot of his like, you know, the trade deal that Trump was, uh, you know, has been working on with uh, China 
has a lot to do with having them purchase a, a great deal of commodities from the United States. But at the same time, the Biden camp is also, uh, you know, very interested in, in the agricultural space as well. It's like another trend-like technology. You just can't stop it. People need to eat and people need to be able to interact and exchange information in a digital world. So those are two mega trends that are just kind of unstoppable and they're not going to be shaken out because somebody comes in. These are things that are going to be going out decades, but there's still a long runway for them in the next few years here. It's just that there's going to be a narrower group of stocks to really focus on. So it's really, really critical in a, dis in a market that's highly dispersed, meaning that there's only a few stocks in each industry group that really perform. It's very, very important to get the critical, actionable intelligence, premium kind of insights that we offer here at Daily Disruptor. To go on, another area that would benefit tremendously uh, from Trump would be big pharma and biotech. As much as some people criticize Trump in certain areas, the truth is that he is a massive advocate of biotechnology, which is partly why he has basically indicated that he wants to fast track a lot of the uh, vaccine production operation, a warp speed, for example. So I'm not saying anything about it being good or bad. I'm just mentioning this right now because this is just where the money has been going. So here's one example of where huge money has been moving that is on the, uh, the Trump side, okay? But you have to also remember that on the Biden side, Biden is also all about trying to do the right things in order to improve the living standards of people, at least from his perspective and from that camp's perspective, okay? And I'm not putting any credence into either side here. I'm just saying that they both believe they have policies that are going to be getting us out of this pandemic. And that's another example that just because biotech is exploding, does it mean that they're voting for Trump as opposed to Biden? No, because the reality is when you're in a pandemic, you know that there's going to have to be a vaccine, uh, regardless of whether they're pushing it. Money is going to come in from the private sector if it wasn't coming from the public sector to solve this human problem that's affecting the world. So biotech would outperform regardless of who comes in. But I do have to say that the winner on that side would have to be Trump because he's in power right now. He's the one that made that provision for Operation Warp Speed. And it basically amplified the degree and the timeline for biotech to explode. It would have exploded anyways, but not to the degree that some of these stocks have moved. And a lot of these stocks that we've mentioned in prior episodes, which have moved tremendously, like several hundred or even thousand fold going forward. So, but you can't just look at that and say, oh, because it's going up, Trump is going to win or because it's going up, Biden's going to win. But it is, it is an important sector to look at. And there's going to be a lot more money to make in big pharma and biotech. Another area, he wants a new healthcare system to reduce premiums. So you could say like health insurance companies basically could be affected in that way. And then the other big area for Trump is legacy energy resources. 
So basically, the coal, uh, the fossil fuels, uh, you know, he's an advocate of that. He's not against renewable energy, but he, he's not only for renewable energy. Uh, I'm not saying anything positive or negative about it because I'm never going to put my uh, own views in here. But that's an area that you would be looking at. So if you were going to look at legacy energy, then you would look at companies like a Chevron or an Exxon. I'm not saying you should be buying them. I could clearly tell you right now, regardless of whether they have a buy signal coming out of the election, I could tell you clearly right now that when you look at the ratio charts of anything in legacy energy compared to anything that's in renewable energy, renewable energy is going to outstrip that in spades. Now, that does not mean there's not going to be short-term stretches depending on the outcome of the election or regardless of the outcome, if there's volatility, regardless of who wins, if we don't know who wins right away, then yes, you could end up having, you know, whether Chevron goes down and the other goes up or this goes down, the other goes up. Ultimately, whatever consolidation comes out of that correction, the winner is likely going to be renewable energy. And there are a tremendous number of stocks that we are following at uh, Daily Disruptor, where we're providing actionable intelligence to our premium investors. So absolutely, that would be an, an area that um, would be related to the Trump camp, would be the legacy energy. And then, of course, Trump is interested in increasing military spending and a reduction in social spending. So any stocks that is, so if, if somebody thinks that Trump is going to win, then they would look at stocks like a Lockheed Martin or a Northrop Grumman. So that would be LMT and NOC. I'm not saying buy, I'm just saying that if you took all these stocks that are related to Trump and you divided it by all the stocks related to Biden, you're going to make more money in the stocks that are related to Biden. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Biden's going to be better for the world. It just means that Biden, Biden's policies are going to make you more money in the market. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's because of what he's doing. It could just be because people perceive that those are the areas that would do well if he actually followed through on what he's doing. So regardless of whether he follows through, Wall Street believes he's going to follow through or believes that... It doesn't matter whether he follows through. That's just all the information they have, and that's where they would invest. And also, that's where the global trends are heading. Like, we are moving in the direction of renewable energy, regardless of whether Biden is able to pull it off. We're going to ultimately go there. And there are a lot of smart people in the private sector that are going to make that work. You know, you know people who like Elon Musk and many other smart people. So the reality is whether or not some of those stocks right now are extremely overvalued, all the better. Because you know what? We're not in the game of just buying at any price. You want to have your basket correct because there are always two to three big volatility events during the year. And on our premium section of the Daily Disruptor, we hone in on when that tail risk, that big downside event is over. And when it's over, it separates the good stuff from the bad stuff. And then if we're looking at the areas that we think have the long runway, then if you're investing in renewables, you're investing in 5G, you want to be definitely looking at the best names at that time 
by looking at ratio charts, which I will be doing, so you don't have to look at it. That's already all in the analysis, and I'd basically be playing a, uh, you know, again, like basically looking at which equities, which sectors are going to do the best coming out of that correction. And this way, you have the limited amount of risk because you're already near a low. And even if it went slightly lower, you want to make sure that you're not going into a stock that's going to fall substantially lower. And, you know, and if it does go up, you don't want it to be a stock that goes up so it could go down. You want it to be a stock that's going down to, to build energy, to cleanse out the old, you know, the, the weak hands and then get ready for the next move up because that's how it works in the market. Some of the best moves that are 10 or 100-fold winners those don't happen without sharp corrections because it's the sharp corrections that actually scare the weak hands out. And what happens is coming out of those corrections, it usually moves up twice as fast as the correction and, and significantly higher. And when that happens, the, sm the, the people that were the weak hands come in again because they can't take the fact that they didn't participate in the move they thought was going to happen. And then what happens is when they go in, they get over leveraged. Because a lot of people in the market that are trading retail, they don't have the money that the big Wall Street guys have. And when they go over leveraged, volatility starts to go down. So the VIX or the volatility index goes down because as the market moves up, they have more money to borrow. But what happens is you get to a point where there's nobody else to buy and then the volatility starts going up. And the problem is when volatility goes up, when you're leveraged, they start charging you more money for borrowing. They also increase your margin requirements, which force the small guy and retail trader out of the market, and all of them have to sell at once. The big guys know that. So what they do is they position themselves ahead of it by buying protection when they see that kind of skew. And then when the market comes down, they pile in. The whole idea is you want to be thinking like the big guy, even if you have a little bit of money. Because if you do that, you could actually turn a little bit of money into more money or at least reduce permanent risk. So there's always going to be tail risk. There's no such a thing like if you buy at a really low price after a, a massive drop. It doesn't mean it can't go lower. Every time you get in, it could go lower. But you're reducing the odds of a permanent loss of capital and increasing the odds that you're going to actually... When, the, when you start seeing on the news the market going up on a given day, that the stocks you're in are outperforming the index or at least moving in line, as opposed to, as I've said on prior episodes, 68% of stocks actually go down in a bull market and up to 95% or more go down in a bear market. So it's very, very difficult to actually be right on the market unless you have a pretty good idea on timing of events as well as an idea of which stocks are going to outperform others and how quickly you could actually overcome that correction to actually build your capital. Because if, if you actually go up 20% from a low or 50% from a low, you're actually not recovering all your money if you didn't know that there, you were at, a, at an area where a lot of people could be selling. So the only time I'm looking at situations in the market is when the market has had a significant correction and then putting some money in 
And then if there is some major event that comes out of left field and there's a tail risk event and the market tanks in the short term, then you could put the, the rest of the capital in. And then at that point, you just let it sit there. And then as the market goes up, the stocks that are going to outperform the index will actually do a lot better than if you just randomly picked a group of stocks or if you just invested willy-nilly in, you know, in a few ETFs in hot areas. So that pretty much covers uh, the Trump camp and some traders speak. And the last thing would be for in the Trump camp would be basically, well, he, he doesn't necessarily want to um, approve an increase in the minimum wage or let's say uh, healthcare, uh, you know, special healthcare uh, benefits. So some of those stocks could be affected. Now in the Biden camp, here are some of the things uh, that would do well. I wouldn't say do well. There would be new regulations in the banking sector. So that would impact the banking sector. So that's not necessarily, you'd have to be, you'd have to be very stock specific to know which ones you want to get into the banking sector on. But what I can say is from my analysis, there are signs now of a lot of merger and acquisition and consolidation going on in the regional bank space, which would definitely get amplified in a Trump win. But those trends were already in place anyways. So regardless of who wins, that's something on a stock-specific basis that we will be indicating some names in that space that we think could do well. Then again, if that trend is happening, then companies that service mergers and acquisitions and provide consulting to banks that do that would also get some kind of lift. But those are not mega trends. Those are just, if you really wanted to micro-search for very specific ideas, yeah, that would be one. But it's not as, let's say, as flashy or as catchy as uh, some of the uh, the plays I talked about earlier. Now, the next area would be uh, uh, gold. So gold and silver would, would tend to do well um, in, a, uh, in a Biden win. It would also do well regardless of who wins because we have a situation right now in the world where interest rates... If real interest rates are negative, when you have a situation like that, it just it makes gold that doesn't pay anything and silver that doesn't pay any dividend look more attractive relative to other areas. Also, with all the turmoil and uncertainty and, uh, you know, the idea that people are losing trust in uh, decision making of uh, leaders, which could actually curtail and hurt fiat currencies. People want to protect their living standards. Also, because as I mentioned earlier, we're at the bottom of a commodity cycle that is going to be rampantly increasing and food inflation and agricultural inflation is going to be rampant as we move through next year. That is definitely going to hit the pocketbooks of people. And that inflation is usually very good for gold. And also the reason why I'm specifically bullish on silver Besides the fact that, well, there's many reasons, and I've mentioned it in some prior casts. I'll just touch on a couple, a few things here. Silver, number one, is historically, well, at the lows, it's never been so cheap on a relative basis to gold. Usually, like it could be like a 15 to 1 ratio. It got up to over a 100 to 1 ratio. 
It was very, very inexpensive on a relative basis. Also, tremendous, there's very few mines that produce silver because silver is a byproduct of gold and other kind of metals. And basically, there's just not a lot of pure plays in that space and a lot of mine shutdowns that took place during the bear market. So there's very little supply. And then you add on the fact that we had this pandemic, which also curtailed uh, the supply chains and shut down mining activity. So uh, you have that supply issue, but you also have a demand issue. Now with the fact that renewable energy and solar power panels is a huge thing, one of the largest um, uses of industrial in the industrial area of silver is actually in that space and solar power panels. And that is just growing exponentially here. So there's a lot in that space. There's a lot in the medical space. Uh, there's a lot in the semiconductor space. So there's, there's lots of applications for silver. But beyond that, I think it also has to do with the fact and the realization that a lot of the pension funds around the world and investors around the world are now realizing that they're underinvested in that space. And because the whole valuation of the silver space is smaller than a lot of these single companies. You could just imagine uh, what a small amount, if even 5% allocation was put in by you know, even conservative investors, and that was to happen in, in, you know, uh, in, with a large group of people at the same time. You would have a liquidity squeeze sending silver, especially in the precious metal space, uh, to extremely lofty levels. And from a uh, technical point of view, and from a very proprietary point of view of some of technology that was developed in-house at Running Alpha that powers the uh, critical research uh, we provide in our premium products here at the Daily Disruptor, it uses quantum logic that goes beyond what current day computers and artificial intelligence is actually able to assess. So we could actually see when the other side is going to be positioned in the wrong way and then take the other side. That does not mean that you can't lose money in the market. It just means that we have a better view of when trends would get amplified when, let's say, catalysts come into the market. So let's say there was a catalyst that would be good for silver, a catalyst that would be good for tech or good for um, energy, let's say renewable energy. Then what we could say is, that if we apply this quantum lens to those areas, we could identify the best companies that would get amplified the most based on that catalyst, as opposed to using classical artificial intelligence, no matter how complex it is, as long as it's done on a classical computer and not using classical and not using quantum logic, it will be impossible for it to see certain patterns that um, before they actually show up in the market price. So. Uh, we have a history of being able to see that. And that is exactly all the information that I talked about today and the reason why I see uh, a, a, a Biden win based on what the market is saying. It's through the quantum lens. But it's also, th but through a classical lens, it's telling us that they have been betting on Biden. But only a quantum lens could tell you that whatever they've been betting on is going to get even more amplified. But it doesn't mean there can't first be a correction and even a volatile correction in the overall market 
depending on what happens with the election, before it gets amplified. But it will get amplified. And, uh, you know, I've seen this time and time again. And you want to be like when you're looking at things like this, you want to be an investor. These events happen two or three times a year. So you really want to be looking at this. Let's say uh, like if you're a, a short term trader, you want to be looking like uh, trading around a, a three to six week period. But in a bigger campaign, knowing that moves are going to take place over a four to six month period, because these are very secular moves. So that would, and a secular move really means over years. But uh, in my case, because I'm really honing in, like I almost see secular in my analysis as being four to let's say six months. And an extremely a long secular move in my basis would be something like two years. So silver would fall into that camp. So I would say if you were going to be an investor in silver, you should have an, an outlook, you know, going out over the next four to six months. A lot of very big things could happen, actually, between now and November 18th. If it happens in a huge way going into the 18th, I would take some profit there, at least 50%, if it exploded into that date. If the market goes down into that date, I would be looking to be a buyer and then looking out into February and then the longest term looking out into about 2022 for some type of real buying pressure not just from a technical point of view, but there will be fundamental catalysts adding fuel to the fire and uh, really sending uh, shares of some of these companies in the silver space much higher. So an, an example of an ETF in the silver space would be the SILJ. I'm not going to go into specific stocks and specific buy points and specific timelines. That's to be fair to our subscribers who are premium members. That is available only to premium members, but that is something that any one of uh, the listeners here today can easily get access to by going to the Daily Disruptor. So I, I want to really close this off really as fast as I can uh, because I'm almost done answering the questions about what would do well. We ended off with gold and silver with Biden. The next area is... Biden wants to do, uh, you know, a multi-trillion dollar renewable energy kind of plan kind of thing. And as I that feeds right into, as I talked about earlier, the renewable energy stocks. As you could see this year, uh, Tesla really exploded. That's that's one name that I would only be trading around. This is not something like, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could have a person that wants to hold some long term core position. But the reality is it moves so dramatically so quickly that I look forward to those big volatility events that really clear people out. And then I come in on the short term and trade around that over a several week to a few month period. The next area is China trade tariffs. So even though a lot of people think, oh, well, Biden is going to be easy on China. The reality is it's definitely he's going to be lighter in terms of let's put it this way, on maybe alleviating some of the tariff. I would, Based on the way he's talking, it sounds like that's going to be alleviated. If that's the case, emerging market equities so uh, would benefit in, in, in that case. Um, and also um, companies, let's say that e-commerce companies that service emerging markets, whether it's a Wayfair or an Amazon, would do very, very well and probably get amplified in that environment. The next area would be the funding of universal uh, preschool education, 
you know, work from anywhere technologies. Here's what some Republicans think. Some Republicans think, and I, I'm not speaking for any specifics. I'm just saying some because I heard some speak that way. They would basically say, okay, is Biden going to lock us up and we're not going to be able to go out? Okay, well, let's take, let's do a game theory analysis of this. If we're locked up and we don't go out, is that going to help us get out of this environment? First of all, I think that's an extreme view. I, I don't actually believe at the end of the day, anyone is necessarily going to, like locking up is the last thing anyone wants to do. But, uh, you know, doing the right protocols that are going to actually allow us to get to some kind of immunity. So maybe on an economic point of view, uh, from purely looking at which companies benefit because they make more money by being out in the workforce, then you could say, yeah, you, you look at it through that lens, okay, we get an economic benefit. But you've also got to look at it the other way. If a lot of other people are getting ill, then you get the side effects of having to deal with public policy that is going to cost you a lot of money to save the other part of uh, society, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are getting older. The next area would be child care, elderly home care. So companies like Teladoc would do very well because in an environment where you can't see your doctor during a pandemic, you would expect companies like that to do well. Now, I'm not saying anything about buying it tomorrow. All these stocks have run up tremendously. It, you really need to have actionable intelligence through a premium subscription to actually know the price levels. And the thing is, price levels are not like that. When, I, when we analyze stuff through a quantum lens, we're not just looking at price, but we're also looking at how real-time information and time comes into the picture. So there's many different dimensions we're looking at. We crunch all those numbers. You don't have to worry about all that. And then when the event says, hey, this is a stock that we like that's part of a mega trend, we immediately send out an actionable real-time uh, market call with all the information you need, you know, exactly where to get in, exactly where to place the campaign, what the, the duration of the window is, whether it's anti-fragile relative to other equities in it. We compare it to alternatives. And then we look at what, what is the downside, you know, what is the tail risk so that we could allocate some more capital if it got down there. And then, you know, and then we just carry it on. And then as the trade unfolds, if we see that it's getting to an area where it makes sense to take something off or exit completely, then we shoot it out. So it comes straight from basically the trading desk of Running Alpha, which is, um, I've been in, you know, in, in the business for 25 years analyzing the market. And I shoot that out. So you're getting literally live information right out of you know right out of my analysis in real time so that you don't miss that action but and even it's very important even for a long-term trader or a long-term investor because yes i agree you don't have to uh trade willy-nilly but it's very important to know when to get in you like yes you could wait 10 years for something to come back if you buy it at you know at a high and then it crashes and you have to but why do that if you if you could eliminate that, uh, you know, and and get action in in sometimes days or weeks or in 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 situations, as I said, there's two or three of these moves a year. Let's say you reduce a 10 year waiting time 
down to, you know, four to six months to see some kind of uh, situation or even compress, you know, a 20-year move into a two-year time period. And, and not just a two-year time period where you get average returns, but where you get returns that are pretty spectacular on balance if you have a diversified portfolio that's across the names and the sectors that we like. So that almost covers most of the areas for the Biden camp. There seems to be a lot more in the Biden camp, which is why I also think uh, he's, he's going to win here. The other area would be REITs. So basically, the reason why I say REITs is because let's say the stock market gets impacted from a Biden uh, win. Okay, let's say that is the scenario. Why would I think certain REITs could do well? And I'm not saying all REITs, but why could certain REITs do well? I would say if I was to pick a type of REIT that would do well, it would be real estate e-commerce warehousing REITs. So uh, companies that provide warehousing to the leaders that are going to benefit from these mega waves. So whoever is servicing Amazon or whoever is uh, servicing like Home Depot and, and those kind of companies, you wa would want to have REITs there because they're going to benefit from the e-commerce effect. They're also going to benefit from the fact that if they're going to benefit from one thing, if taxes are going to go up in a Biden win, then you would want to have companies like REITs that actually, if they pay more than 90% of their profits as a dividend, then there's no need to pay taxes. So it's a very tax efficient way to offset an increase in taxes in a Biden win. So, you know, so one company that I'm actually um, looking at analyzing and we're going to talk about in more detail will be in the in the upcoming episode. But this is a name that is going to be included in the coming days inside our uh, uh, premium subscription. But at least you have an idea of the sector. So if you want to type into Google warehousing REITs, why they would be good, which companies are buying from them. These are the kind of fundamental research you should be preparing for ahead of a Biden or Trump win. So you'd have an idea of what would do well uh, in an e-commerce uh, revolution where uh, Amazon and Wayfarers and, and Shopify's will benefit and they need the warehousing. And the last area would be uh, infrastructure. Biden made it very clear and, and so did Trump also say he wants infrastructure. But, but Biden, uh, you know, has a very, you know, he claims to have a very detailed kind of uh, plan. We'll see, we'll see what happens. But the stocks are speaking of it. Like if you take a look at some of the building construction stocks, part of it has to do with the fact that there's because of the coronavirus situation, a lot of the people have been moving from out of the city to other areas, like kind of a hyper localization trend. So they're moving out to the country. A lot of people are moving from multifamily homes to single family homes because they want to be separated from people that may have COVID. So there's not as many homes in that space. So there's a lot of new construction taking place. So because of that new construction, companies like a Home Depot, you know, would do well. You know, even Staples companies, you know, where people have to deal with personal care and food, companies like Costco would do well in regardless of who wins. Um, I actually like Costco more than Walmart. So just for people in that space. And also, uh, you know, uh, companies uh, in the material space. 
So things in the material space should do well in an environment, not just because of a housing construction, but because you're going to need to use these materials if you're going to build the infrastructure of the United States uh, back up. So that pretty much uh, covers all the areas that would benefit in a Trump and Biden win.